In case you haven't noticed, I have a fancy Christmas tie. It says joy. And um, Chip Kettering insisted that I, I share um, the story behind it with you. I was with my family in Northern California, and we passed by the Mount Whitney Fish Hatchery. And we stopped by to check it out. And they also had what they called a white elephant room. And in there they had variety of treasures to raise money for the hatchery. And one of them was this tie I got for 99 cents. And I know you say, you know, that's a lot of money to spend on a tie. But, but, but listen. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it plays music. All right. Hopefully, hopefully it'll stop quickly. Okay. All right. On Wednesday, September 28th, this year, President Biden, while speaking at the White House from the podium, repeatedly called out for a friend. Jackie, are you here? Where is Jackie? The president was looking for Jackie Walorski. Sadly, however, the congresswoman had been killed in a car accident a month earlier on August 3rd. Soon after, according to the New York Post, President Biden had publicly mourned her death and even lowered the White House flags for two days in her memory. Yet, a month later, he was looking for her, calling out her name while giving a presentation. Later that day, following the president's repeated calls for his friend, who had passed away a month earlier, the routine press briefing at the White House devolved into chaos as reporters questioned Biden's press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, to address the 79-year-old president's mental health. Was the president confused? Was something written in the teleprompter he didn't recognize? What happened here? As the questioning intensified, the press secretary's only response was that the deceased woman that Biden knew was dead was simply top of mind for the president. Top of mind. Not only was this the only excuse given for the president repeatedly calling out the name of and looking for a person whose death he had mourned a month earlier, but the press secretary relentlessly repeated the excuse, top of mind, nine times. Top of mind. What does this even mean? Well, I did some research. Top of mind is a marketing term. It's a powerful metaphor for the thing or things that an individual most thinks about. It's what is at the forefront of an individual's thinking. The issue or issues, thing or things that are at the top of a person's mind. The phrase top of mind reflects the uniqueness of human communication, which is why the phrase top of mind is so important to marketers. Whether it is the things being sold to us, promoted to us, or forced on us publicly, politically, culturally, academically, and most powerfully, through the corrosive influence of media and big business, the phrase top of mind crystallizes the unique ability humans have to get into the minds of others. The reality is here, 
everything in the world is competing for our top of mind. Albert Moeller, on his October 17th briefing news commentary, I believe accurately referred to this as the essence of communication. And I will add persuasion. Think about it. Is there anything potentially more influential, more powerful in your life than the thing or things that you think about most? What claims your top of mind and why? Is it money, work, school, relationships, sports, television, social media, sex, drugs, alcohol, COVID, abortion, LGBTQ+, Trump, Biden, maybe the sins of others, or right now, for many, it might even be Christmas. Right now, ironically, while our culture is doing all it can to try and eliminate Christ from the public square, big business at the same time still demands that we continue to celebrate his, month, his birthday for money. On November 23rd, the New York Times wrote that billions are currently at stake for retailers trying to figure out what shoppers want for Christmas. I.e., businesses all over the world right now are competing for everyone's top of mind as they pretend to celebrate the birth of Christ just for one day. And it's not even December 25th. It's Black Friday or maybe Cyber Monday. Regardless, this morning we are going to praise and thank Christ, God, our Lord and Savior, for specifically seven gifts from him to always keep top of mind. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Follow along with me on the screen as I read Psalms 139, 1 through 10. And think, think deeply as you hear and look at these words. Who was at the top of mind for King David? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Please bow your heads. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to open his word to us. Dear Lord, in your infinite wisdom, you have given us the example of David. 
You use David, among many other flawed men and women in scripture, to illuminate for us your consistent and patient offering of unconditional grace. You not only extend salvation, mercy, redemption, and hope to imperfect people, but even those like David, who were guilty of the most horrific sins, can have confidence knowing that your forgiveness is greater than any sin. David, once guilty of adultery and murder, would turn to you and believe in your promise of salvation to come. And in doing so, you would use him as an example of a life transformed by the gift of faith in you, in you for your glory and your honor. Your words through David in the Psalms testify of how true repentance, the turning from sin and turning to you as the Lord of life, results in a relationship that is all-consuming because you, God, as our Savior, our guide, our teacher, our director, our protector, our comforter, and our constant source of hope and joy, you become our top of mind. Our greatest influence as you do your sanctifying work within us. With this considered, Lord, I ask if there is anyone in here, myself included, that has anything else in life that is competing with our devotion, obedience, worship, thanksgiving, or service to you, that your spirit would intercede like the Father we are privileged to call you that you would take our hearts by the hand and lead us as only you can. Help us to keep you, Lord Jesus, top of mind, and not just on Christmas, but for every day you have ordained for each of us to live. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And celebrate with me. Seven gifts from Christ to always keep top of mind. His word, his arrival, his life, his death, his resurrection, his deity, and his gift of faith. The single greatest, most valuable, tangible gift any of us will ever own is this. These are the words of God. The one who created us. He has also given us an instruction manual. A compass for navigating and negotiating this crazy world. And more importantly, God reveals himself to us in these pages. And in doing so, he saves us from a broken world. And prepares us for eternity with him. Sadly for many Christians... This is just a book, maybe, to be carried on Sunday. How often do you think about this gift? How often do you engage this gift? When you hold your Bible, when you turn through the pages, how do you feel? Are you overwhelmed with a sense of awe? Do you look at these pages as the inspired word of God? Do you ever think about the people all around the world who have to hide their Bibles for fear of persecution and even death? How important to you is the gift that is your Bible? 
And how does your life reflect your answer? How close to the top of your mind is your Bible? And how often? There are two truths I want to highlight about this gift from Christ called the Bible. One, the power of his word. And two, the message in his word. No greater place describes the power of God's word more clearly than Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you believe these words are alive and active? And if so, how close to the top of your mind are these words Monday through Saturday? What about the message? The message is simple. The Old Testament is the promise of Christ made. And the New Testament is the promise of Christ kept. As Matt set up for us two weeks ago, the true narrative account of Christ began in Genesis 3.15. Miraculously, the seed of a woman would come to defeat Satan and the sin of the world. And Isaiah 9.6 tells us exactly how the seed would arrive. A child will be born. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Echoing the grace spoke of earlier this morning about King David, among the worst of sinners, saved by grace. God's words tell us specifically, Jesus would come from the line of David. Listen to what Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6 tells us. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord of Righteousness. And God's word not only foretells the family Jesus will be born into through marriage upon his arrival, but exactly where. Listen to Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. And his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Wow, consider what these words say. The one was to come from a place considered by man's wisdom too little, insignificant. But at the same time, the one would also be from the days of eternity. This is because the child also happens to be, Colossians 1.15 reminds us, the image of the invisible God, whom John 1.14 declared to be the word of God in flesh. If you are one who believes the gift that is having these living words, the power and the message of God to hold in your hand, how can you not cherish these words at the top of your mind? Knowing that 
you will be transformed by God's authored words to be more like him and less like this broken world. Now that we've considered the gift of God's word, let's move on to the arrival of the author. The blessed arrival, the advent of the seed of salvation promised at the beginning of the Bible happened exactly the way the Bible said it would. Beginning in Matthew 1, the Savior is identified as coming from the genealogy of David, the son of Abraham. And listen to how Matthew 1, 18 through 25, the New Testament records the arrival of the promise from the Old Testament. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Just as scripture said would happen, Jesus arrived not from the seed of man, but a woman. This required a miracle. The Holy Spirit and not just the miracle of birth, but the miraculous influence on Joseph, ordained from the line of David, agreed to marry a pregnant woman because of God's miraculous intercession. And where did all this happen? Matthew 1 identifies the birthplace as Bethlehem, the exact place that approximately 700 years earlier had been prophesied in Micah. Emmanuel, God with us, arrived just as scripture said he would. The dots of truth connected. Jesus was born just as scripture said he would be. God himself, as Fred pointed out last week, condescended to the level of man. This means that God, with the greatest of humility, came down to our level to lead us with the gift of his life as a man. And in doing so, he, the great teacher, would show us how to live. Fred's so poignant use of the word condescend made me recall a Christmas story told by the late great broadcaster Paul Harvey on Christmas Eve 2004. The story goes, the man was not a Scrooge. He was a kind, decent, mostly good man generous to his family, upright in his dealings with other men. 
but he just didn't believe that incarnation stuff which the church proclaims at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense. And he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow the Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. I'm truly sorry to distress you, he told his wife, but I'm not going to church with you this Christmas Eve. He said he'd feel like a hypocrite, that he'd much rather stay at home, but that he would wait up for them. And so he stayed and they went to the midnight service. Shortly after the family drove away in the car, snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the snow flurries get heavier and heavier and then went back to his fireside chair and began to read his newspaper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound, then another, and then another, sort of a thud or a thump. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to the front door to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm and, in a desperate search for shelter, had tried to fly through his large landscape window. Well, he couldn't let the poor creatures lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. That would provide a warm shelter if... He could direct the birds to it. Quickly, he put on his coat, tramped through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on the light, but the birds did not come in. He figured food would entice them. So he hurried back to the house, fetched breadcrumbs, sprinkled them in the snow, making a trail to the yellow-lighted, wide-open doorway to the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs and continued to flap around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them. He tried shooing them into the barn, walking around them, waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction except into the warm, lighted barn. And then he realized that they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I am a strange and terrifying creature. If only... I could think of some way to let them know they can trust me. That I am not trying to hurt them, but to help them. But how? Because any move he made tended to frighten them, confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. If only I could be a bird, he thought to himself and mingle with them, and speak their language. Then I could tell them not to be afraid. Then I could show them the way to the safe, warm, to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to be one of them so they could see, and hear, and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sound of the wind, and he stood there listening to the bells, listening to the bells pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees in the snow. The man realized that the wisdom, love, grace, 
and truth of God condescending and living among us to show us the way. And no greater place is this communicated to us than in Philippians 2, 3 through 8, where we learn that Jesus, fully God, condescended to become fully man so he could safely lead us through this life and into the next. Listen to what Philippians 2, 3 through 8 tells us. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. While Jesus lived as a man, he told his disciples in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, with his life, gave us the greatest example of how to live our lives in both word and deed. Because he is the word and flesh. If you truly believe that Jesus, God, step down from his heavenly throne to show you the way as your savior and Lord to guidely, to guide you safely through this life, should you not always keep him as an example of how to live? How often do you find yourself daily making decisions based on his example? How often is his life, the life he lived for you, at the top of your mind. And Jesus did not just give us the gift of his life, but ultimately his death. Just as scripture said he would, everything must pass the truth test in this book. If what scripture said would happen, happens, it's true. If not, not. But thankfully, Everything scripture said would happen with Christ did happen exactly as foretold in Isaiah 53, 2 through 10. Christ had to live a humble and perfect life so that he could ultimately give himself as a humble and perfect sacrifice. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered him cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The beginning of this passage starts with a rhetorical question. Isaiah 53.1 asks, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Then the verses I read prior, 2 through 10, go on to describe the perfect life and death of a Savior. The arm of the Lord revealed. Jesus. Has Jesus been revealed to you? Does your life reflect receiving the gift of his sacrifice on the cross daily? The gift that not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but the slavery of sin. Are thoughts of his work on the cross for you a Sunday thing or a daily thing? Or maybe like for many of my early adult years, just a Christmas and Easter thing which I only did to make my mother happy. I'm so thankful for a praying mom and a gracious and patient God. And today I know with the greatest certainty that the more top of mind the life and sacrificial death Christ gifted us with are, the more faithfully we can walk through and negotiate the darkness of this world. Because our focus is on the one who condescended for us and not just to offer momentary or temporary shelter or protection of the influence of a man, but the freedom and sin slavery in our current life from sin slavery and the hope of eternal life in the next, all of which can only be offered by someone who is fully God. Just as my favorite passage in scripture, Titus 3, 4 through 7, promises. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured upon us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we would become heirs of the hope of eternal life. I love how this passage begins. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. While the image of a man trying to guide a group of scared birds safely out of the snow is heartwarming, Think about the heavenly intercession of God in your life. If you are someone who has accepted Jesus as your savior and you know him to be the Lord of your life, you have more than shelter for a night. You have the eternal perspective, hope, and joy 
that Jesus has everything under control, just as Romans 8.28 tells us. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. In this life, do you spend more time living as someone who has been called to walk according to God's purpose? Or are you like a lost bird running around in the snow? I'm going to repeat that. In this life, do you spend more time living as one who has been called to walk according to the purpose of God? Or like one lost bird running around in the snow? If the life of Christ, the life he condescended to live for you and die for you is something you neglect to keep top of mind, will you pray about it? Would you ask him to help you acknowledge him as the Lord of your life that you claim he is? And pray about it daily. When we seek shelter in him daily, he leads us daily. He leads us with a hope, joy, and clarity that only he can provide. Because he did not just lead by example with a perfect life, but proved himself God when he conquered death. And not for himself, but for all who believe. With his resurrection the conquering of sin and death, just as foretold back at the beginning of his story in Genesis. The gift of his resurrection is the foundation of our faith. Without it, nothing else matters, which is why we must always keep his resurrection top of mind. And we can only do this by knowing why we do. Why do we know this to be true? Because his word, his word start to finish, connects the dots and tells us so. Again, the Old Testament is the promise given. The New Testament is the promise kept. Psalm 16.10 tells us, the Holy One would not be abandoned to Sheol or undergo decay. He would not die, Ultimately. Psalms 118, 21 through 29 foretold God himself as our salvation, the rejected stone who would become the cornerstone of light and that his loving kindness is everlasting. And again, referencing Isaiah 53, the most powerful portion of scripture in the Old Testament describing the life of Christ 700 years before his birth says that he was to be a sin offering and that following, his days would be prolonged. For scripture to be true, Christ had to conquer death. And that is just what he did. Jump ahead 700 plus years to the New Testament. Specifically to the most Christ is God honoring portion in scripture in the Bible. John 20, 26 through 28. Eight days later, following his crucifixion, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And to Thomas, he said, put your finger here 
See my hand. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Doubting Thomas did not fully believe that Christ had risen. By grace, Jesus made it very clear to him. As a result, Thomas proclaimed the most powerfully affirming words anyone could ever say regarding Jesus. My Lord and my God. Not only did Thomas acknowledge Jesus as his Lord, that is the one he follows and obeys and tries to live for, but now, forevermore, Thomas identified Jesus as God, as the deity who would ever, forever claim the top of his mind. The deity of Christ defines our faith. Unfortunately, this time of year, the creator of the universe and all things in it is often confined to a crib in a manger, mass-produced in China for profit. And while the image of baby Jesus is precious, the gift of knowing him as deity, the one that Acts 4.12 says is the only name by which we must be saved is the only way we can properly revere him at the top of our mind and be saved. Nobody I contend knows this better than the Apostle John. While imprisoned on the island called Patmos, because of the word of God and his testimony on behalf of Jesus, while in the spirit on the Lord's day, John heard a voice behind him in Revelation 1, 12 through 18. Listen, listen closely to what John saw and heard. I turned to see a voice that was speaking to me. I saw one like the son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded around his chest was a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. John. The disciple whom scripture says in John 13, 23 and 19, 26 is the one that Jesus loved because of their obvious close relationship as men. John did not even recognize his best friend because of the awe-inspiring appearance of his glory, his deity. On the contrary, it scared John nearly to death. But how did Jesus respond? Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead 
And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Today, this is what I think about whenever I see baby Jesus in a manger. And I strive to keep this image of Jesus top of mind as he carries me through each day that he has ordained for me to live with the faith that he has blessed me with. Because faith in him is a gift from him. Just like Luke 19.10 says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Just as Romans 3.11 reminds us, no one seeks after God. It is he who does the pursuing. We just have to respond. Nobody knows this better than Paul, once a persecutor of Christians. In fact, in Romans 12.3, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Have you ever thought about the song Amazing Grace? What it actually means? Even our ability to believe, to have faith, is a gift of grace from God. And how this works? I don't know. That's why it's called faith. Romans 8.25 defines faith as hope and what we cannot see. And I will add, hope and what we cannot fully understand. If you ever meet someone who thinks they have all the answers, run to the hills. It's impossible for a finite brain to fully know and comprehend the infinite God of the universe. But thank you, Lord. He does give us exactly what he knows we need. And it all starts with his gift of faith. With this considered, do you know Jesus the same way that a once doubting Thomas confidently does now? As Lord and God. If not, all you have to do is respond to his message, his pursuing of you. No public fanfare necessary. Just say for you and him to hear, Jesus, I believe you are Lord and God. And I want to know you better. Then, start studying this. The greatest gift you will ever hold in your hand. And pray to him for understanding and maturity in your faith. This morning, we celebrated the gift of faith, as well as six other gifts to help us keep Christ top of mind. When I was in high school, I worked on a Christmas tree lot. For many reasons, it was the funnest time of year and one of the most enjoyable memories from my youth. The cold winter air, candy canes, hot cocoa, rows and rows of Christmas trees, cute sales girls, <laughs> and the constant hope of big tippers and Christmas music. Christmas music was always playing. And one song in particular a song beautifully sung by Kenny Rogers 
comes to mind. A beautiful sounding song, but with very depressing lyrics. The song is called Christmas Every Day. He was born so far away, so the story's told. We remember Christmas Day when winter days grow cold. With the time it passes by, we put away the trim. Then we live and wonder why we can't remember him. The Christmas star shines once a year and then it fades away. Keep the spirit in your heart. It's Christmas every day. It's not the bells and it's not the snow and it's not the gifts we get. But he was born so long ago, it's easy to forget. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. But men can't go alone. We get lost along the way, but he can bring us home. Remember him throughout the year without the star above. He left us all the Christmas gift. He left the gift of love. The Christmas star shines once a year and then it fades away. The gifts of Christ, the infinite list of blessings that he graces us with are not just to be celebrated on Christmas and then to fade. But rather the gifts of Christ must dominate our top of mind for every day, every hour, and every second of life that he blesses us with. Knowing that he is preparing us for eternity with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word tells us that if everything you did for us was written down, the whole world would have, not have room for the books that would have to be written. Sadly, however, for many, Christmas is the only time of year that you are briefly recalled, often for the wrong reasons, and then quickly forgotten. Today we only scratch the surface of how you have infinitely blessed us and it is our desire here at Church of the Canyons that we would be a collective body of individuals who prayerfully strive to keep you always top of mind. That your word, your arrival, your life, your death, your resurrection, your deity and the gift you have given us of faith would exceedingly guide our thoughts and our actions that you would bless us with the ability to keep you top of mind always as we anticipate expectantly 